Well, for the month of June, I will be preaching through Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost. That is where we read about Pentecost, which is the holiday we are celebrating today. Now, Pentecost is not celebrated like Christmas or Easter, and yet it is still a very important day in the history of the church. And so over this month of June, we are going to break up Acts chapter 2 into three different chunks as we look at Pentecost more deeply throughout this month. We're going to look at the power of Pentecost, how the Spirit comes in power. We are going to look at the purpose of Pentecost, kind of what Pentecost sets in motion. And then we're also going to look at the promise of Pentecost, what it says to us and what we can take away from it. But today we're going to stick to the power, the power of Pentecost as we look at this first chunk of Acts chapter 2. And so you can open up your bulletins. You can take out your Bibles or the Pew Bibles. We are in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. To give a little context for where we are, the disciples now are gathered back in Jerusalem. They are in this city, in the city of Jerusalem, to celebrate Pentecost, which existed before Pentecost, which sounds kind of weird, but Pentecost was one of the three Jewish feasts that Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. It was the Feast of Weeks, or the celebration of the wheat harvest. And so the disciples, all being Jewish men, traveled to Jerusalem from Galilee where they had been. And so that, that explains kind of, hey, what are you guys doing back in Jerusalem? Well, they were there celebrating Pentecost, which all of a sudden became something new and different. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Here is what we read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, 
They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for this morning and for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for inspiring these words that were spoken by Peter and these words that were recorded by Luke as he wrote down this book of Acts. We pray, O God, that you would still speak through these words today and that you would give us ears to hear. You would give us open hearts and minds to receive your word, O God, that you would use me in spite of my sin to faithfully proclaim your word, expounding and applying all that we find here in the word, O God. We pray that as we come to this word, that we would hear about your mighty works, O God, that we would hear that we can call on your name and be saved, and that we would hear of the great blessing that came at Pentecost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm sorry to cut short the Pentecost sermon there because, you know, like it goes on and on and Peter talks a lot. But we'll get to it next week, okay? So we just cut him off, kind of to be continued. We'll do, do more of what Acts chapter 2 says. But today, I want us to approach this passage by looking at the three supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we see at Pentecost. Three expressions of His power that shine through. That instead of earth, wind, and fire, we see tongues, wind, and fire. Which I suppose could also be the name of a band, if you wanted it to be. And so we're going to look at those three elements, tongues, wind, and fire, today. But we're going to look at them in the order in which they appear in the passage, which means we start with wind. And so as the disciples were gathered on that Pentecost day in some room where they are sitting down, they hear a loud sound like a rushing wind. And I feel like of the three manifestations of power, we probably can get a good sense of this more than the others. That we can remember sounds that we have heard during a windstorm. You hear the trees rustle and they bend and creak. You hear the howl of the wind on your house. You hear it squeal through the cracks in the roof or in the attic. You hear the roar die down only to pick back up again a moment later. And it's that kind of sound that filled the room where the disciples were. 
Now, this manifestation of wind makes a lot of sense that wind comes with the Spirit because both the Hebrew word for wind and the Greek word for wind is the same word as spirit. That in Hebrew, spirit and wind are the same word. In Greek, spirit and wind are the same exact word. So you could call them the Holy Wind. But I think the Holy Spirit's a better name. And so the Spirit is a lot like wind, really. It shares a lot of qualities with wind. That just as we cannot see the wind, we also cannot see the Holy Spirit. But just as we can see the effects of the wind around it, so we can also see the effects of the Spirit when He is moving and working. But the other connection I want us to draw today when it comes to wind and Spirit is not just the the visible parts of it, but that the wind blows widely. That just as when the wind blows, it covers everything all around, so also the Spirit is able to use His power prevalently. You see, we can use wind very carefully, like on a birthday. Maybe we have a little cupcake with one candle on it because we don't want to have as many candles as our age, okay? And we just, and we just carefully blow out that one candle. But when the wind blows in nature, it doesn't just, it rushes and it flows through everything. And at Pentecost, what we see is this widespread outpouring of the Holy Spirit demonstrating the prevalence of the Spirit's power. That the Spirit's power is like wind in that way, covering everyone and everything. That's what the prophet Joel spoke about. The words that Peter quotes are from Joel chapter 2. That God gave the prophet Joel a vision of these last days when he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. It wouldn't just be a select few people that were filled with the spirit like Moses or Aaron or David. The spirit would come to all. That sons and daughters would prophesy. That young men and old men would see visions and dream dreams. That even male and female servants, the lowest class people, they too would prophesy and receive the Holy Spirit. And so Pentecost marked this turning point in the history of the world when God dwelled in all His people through the Holy Spirit that previously God had been present with a few select people. The Spirit would come and go and be in some people. And then Jesus came. And Jesus was around a lot of people, but Jesus, being fully man, was confined to one place at one time. Jesus could not blow like the wind. He was confined to His body. But with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God is now with all His people At the same time, like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit filled all the disciples and is able to fill all of us future believers so that God's power is with all God's people simultaneously. So we see through the wind here in the passage that God's power is prevalent. It goes to all his people. But one question we might have is, well, what happens when the wind stops blowing? That, yeah, maybe the Spirit came and blew on His people at one time, but does He stick around? Does He stay with us? 
Or is the spirit like that fickle wind on the day you're trying to fly a kite where there it is. Oh, no, it's gone. There it is. No, it's gone. And the spirit just comes and goes and whooshes around and around. Well, the second manifestation of the spirit's power is seen in the fire that rests on the disciples' heads. And that fire shows us the permanence of God's power with his people. And so after the sound of wind fills the house, we read in verse 3 that divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, I imagine that if you are in any way like me, you have questions, okay? That since the word tongues is the same word used later for speaking in tongues, are we imagining that on top of people's heads there are flaming like uh, tongues, mouth organs? Or by tongues of fire, does it mean like the, the flippily flames parts? Like those are tongues of flame and that's it's just like a flame on their head. How long did it stay there? Did their hair catch on fire? Did it not? Was the flame blue? Was it orange? Was it red, as we are all wearing red? What was it? Now, the truth is that we don't know really any of those specifics. But that tells us that they don't matter all that much. Because God tells us what we need to know in His Word. And what we see here is when the Spirit rested in this fire-like appearance on each of the disciples' heads... What was happening was a baptism of the Spirit. Back at the beginning of the Gospels, John the Baptist, when he was baptizing people with water, said, There is one who is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I mean, this seems like that, doesn't it? In fact, Peter later in chapter 11 says that's what happened at Pentecost. We were baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And what that means is God will be with his people. That just as baptism is a one time, you are mine, you belong to me, you are part of my people, I will be with you. The same is true of this baptism of the Spirit. That he is saying the Spirit is with you, he is always with you. Because in Scripture, fire represented the presence of God. Think about Exodus chapter 3. Moses is out tending the flock of sheep and he sees a bush. It's on fire, but it's not getting consumed. And it's God's presence. And God speaks to him from the bush and he tells him, Moses, I will be with you. And I will be with Israel. And I am going to bring you out of Egypt. In the fire, he is telling Moses, I will be present with you powerfully. Later, when they get out of Egypt, God goes before his people in a large pillar of fire. And so when the people stop at night, there's this giant pillar of fire symbolizing, I am powerfully present among you. I am here with you. Then when the tabernacle is built and the temple is built, we see that there is a golden lampstand inside the temple with fire on it saying, I am present here, that your powerful God is here and present. But now at Pentecost, that powerful presence of God is on each of his people. He is saying, I am permanently, powerfully present 
with you. See, as we saw in our Old Testament reading, that's not always how the Spirit worked. Samson needed God's help. And so the Holy Spirit rushed on him. He donkey jawboned a whole bunch of people, a thousand of them. And apparently the Spirit like, out. And we see that a number of times. We see the Spirit rushed on King Saul. We see the Spirit rushed on Samson a number of times. The Spirit was there and gone. But here at Pentecost, as if God is saying, now I will be permanently with you through the Spirit. Now you're hearing that. And if you believe in Jesus, you might be thinking, well, I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel God's presence with me. I don't feel that peace and assurance that the Spirit is supposed to give. That's fair. That happens. There are times when we feel less close to God. Our faith can be shaken for a time. But it doesn't mean the Spirit has left us. A flickering flame still burns, even if it is weak. And it's interesting that the language used of this feeling far from God is quenching the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit, which is the language we use to put out fires or candles. Do not let that fire get low. That there are times when our sin can deprive us of the full joy that the Spirit's indwelling presence is meant to give us, but we will never lose His permanent presence with us. And if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. Believe Jesus. That Jesus said at the end of Matthew's Gospel, I will be with you always. And then He left. Meaning, I will be with you by the Spirit. That I will be present with you always by the Holy Spirit. He told them, as He was ascending into heaven, wait, you need My Spirit's powerful, permanent presence with you. Wait for Him to come. He will empower you for your ministry. And so they waited. Between the 40th day after the resurrection when Jesus ascended and the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, for 10 days, the disciples just kind of waited because they knew we needed this presence with us. They didn't have it, but now at Pentecost they did. Now they were empowered for ministry. But what is that ministry? Well, that brings us to the third manifestation of power at Pentecost, and that is speaking in tongues. And again, we have lots of questions. So many questions. And so we've got to read what it says so that we can get our questions answered. Verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Later in verse 6, the people... We read, at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Then in verse 11, the people that they're talking to respond, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Okay, so the disciples who were filled with the Holy Spirit were empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in languages they didn't know. And these were real 
languages that were used throughout the ancient world. Hence, these people from all sorts of nations going, I know that language. That's what we talk at home. What? But you're not from my home. How are you doing that? But see, it wasn't just that their words came out in a foreign language. The Spirit also overtakes the disciples, compelling them to prophesy and speak in these languages about the mighty works of God. So it wasn't just the language, but the content of what they were saying. So we're like, okay, so that's what's happening, but what, what's really going on here? Why is the Spirit doing this? What is it showing us? Well, I want to suggest that there are, are three things that are happening here. And we often tend to emphasize the wrong one. There's kind of three components to what's going on with the speaking in tongues. First, there's the person speaking in tongues. There's somebody filled with the Spirit speaking in a language they don't know. Second, there's the message that's being spoken. They are compelled to speak some kind of prophetic word about the mighty works of God. And then third, we see the people, they are able to hear what is spoken. And I think the problem we run into is we tend to fixate on component number one, the person speaking in tongues. And that's understandable, because if all of a sudden you just started speaking fluent Japanese or Arabic, we'd probably make a big deal out of it. It would be really weird and unusual if all of a sudden all of you started speaking Mandarin right now. Fluent Mandarin. I'd be like, wow, whatever you're saying, I guess. It's really impressive. But the emphasis in Acts really seems to be on components two and three. What is being spoken and who is hearing it? That God is using this miraculous phenomenon to convey his truth. He wants to get the message out and the people listening get the message. We are hearing the mighty works of God. They can hear and understand what is being spoken. And God wants to get this message out to all of these people from all these different nations. Remember, at Pentecost, this was when Jews from all around the Roman Empire would pilgrim, pilgrimage down to Jerusalem. That's why there's these people from all these different places. There are Jews who were from those places who came to Jerusalem for Pentecost. God wanted to tell them about Jesus to send them back out with the message of Jesus. What we see at Pentecost is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. It is God bringing all people together and sending them out in different languages with blessing. And good news. Instead of sending them out in a curse, God is sending them out in a blessing to all these nations to get the news about Jesus out. And so this speaking in different tongues is merely God's method of getting that message out. And yes, the method matters, but it's not the main focus. It's kind of God's way of miraculously saying that these guys are doing my thing. That this message about Jesus that's being proclaimed is what I am doing. That the new thing in this new way, in this new age of the Spirit, is really from me. And that's why we don't see the sound of wind. 
the tongues of fire, or speaking in tongues all that often. They don't happen in a lot of other places. Consider our New Testament reading from Acts. The Apostle Paul believes in Jesus. We are told he is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no mention of wind. There's no mention of tongues of fire on his head. It doesn't even say Paul spoke in tongues. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit and saved. We are not to expect those things every time someone comes to believe in Jesus. And as we'll see at the end of Acts chapter 2 and verse 41... When all these people listening to Peter's message, when they come and they believe, they repent and believe in Jesus, it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say, and then the wind rushed again, and they too got little tongues of fire on their head, and they also started speaking in tongues. That it was this one-time major event that said, now God has started something new. But what does continue What does matter is that the Spirit empowers us to proclaim the mighty works of God. That the Spirit fills us that we too would proclaim that message in whatever tongue we speak. Most of us, that's American. Formerly known as English. That's our tongue. We speak that. And we are speaking to this people of the mighty works of God. It's a great blessing. It's a great blessing to be able to speak the mighty works of God. We see in this passage a humble Galilean fisherman, Simon Peter, stand up in front of this cosmopolitan crowd from all over the world. And he proclaims that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah who died for their sins and rose again to conquer death. The Spirit that filled Him is the same Spirit that fills us as believers, empowering us to tell our friends, our family, our neighbors about Jesus today. And so what we celebrate at Pentecost is this power of God being permanently present in His people, empowering us to proclaim Jesus. And so because of Pentecost today, we can say definitively, God is here. God is here this morning, not because this building is holy and he said he would be in this building. We know God is here because God is in us by his spirit. The spirit has made us alive in Christ, so we are born again. And the spirit works in us each day to conform us to the image of Jesus reflecting his character. And the Holy Spirit works with great power in us even today. It's kind of funny. The, The funny part of Pentecost is they think they're drunk. I don't know anyone who's ever been drunk and started speaking fluently a different language. It just tends not to happen in my experience. But what they see there is they are being controlled by a force outside of them. That something that clearly is not belonging to them is working in them. And what Peter tells them is it's not alcohol. It's not wine and spirits. It's the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit can so change us by His power that people look at us and go, man, what's gotten into you? Well, what's gotten into me is God. 
the Holy Spirit working in my life, making me want to tell you about Jesus, making me want to live in a different way because He empowers me to live differently, to acknowledge what is sinful in me, to repent of it, and to strive for what is good. That's what has changed about me. And so may the Holy Spirit empower each and every one of us with His permanent presence to be witnesses for Jesus. And may God work in us in such powerful ways that people can't help but notice something has changed in us as we reflect Jesus in our lives. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for the Spirit's power. Spirit, we pray that You would be present in us, working in us that we might reflect Jesus. And we pray that as Pentecost was a day of celebrating the harvest, Jesus also tells us the fields are white with harvest. And so God, we ask that you would empower us to be your witnesses and to go out into the fields of our community to tell in our native tongue the wonders that you have done through Jesus Christ. And pray that you, O Spirit, might work and save many more that they would call on the name of Jesus and so be saved as we have been. In His name we pray. Amen.